everyone, and welcome to worship today. Let's prepare our hearts and minds to worship God now as we listen to the prelude on piano today. join together now in saying the call to worship, which is printed in the bulletin. Loving God with full hearts, we call you Father. We have been adopted into the security of your family. Father, we trust you and we will praise you forever.
seated. And let's pray. Holy God, we do give you thanks and praise for calling us here today, for being with us this past week, for all the days and weeks of our lives, and for promising to guide us through the days and weeks ahead. In the time we have together this day and this place for these people, we pray that you will meet us by your Holy Spirit and uh, guide us to be aware of your presence as we come into your presence now in silent prayer. God's people say together, Amen. Let's pray together the prayer of preparation and confession that's here in the bulletin. Lord, you have given us a world full of rich resources to feed us all and to provide us all that body and mind could need. Yet the poor are still with us, deprived of food, of homes, of education and dignity, deprived of healing and of hope. Forgive our inhumanity, forgive our politics and commerce, forgive our selfishness and greed. Forgive our church life and our home life. Forgive us for leaving Christ unfed, unhoused, without healing, and without hope. Forgive us as we bring ourselves and our possessions back to you. In Christ's name, amen. Brothers and sisters, the good news of today, every day of your life, is that in Jesus Christ, God does forgive you. God loves you, accepts you, promises to be with you wherever you go help you share the good news of Jesus Christ. So receive that good news. Be assured that it's true and be at peace. Amen. Let's stand and greet those that are around us. Uh, welcome today. Uh, we uh, glad to have you here. If you're watching on Facebook uh, or later on the website, we welcome you as well. If you're on the inside aisle, if you'll take the pew pads and sign yourself in, pass it on down there. If you're a visitor, a special welcome to you. There's a place there to give us your contact information as well. So we have lots of stuff going on. This coming Saturday is our spring cleaning day. It goes from 9 to 3, but that doesn't mean you have to stay from 9 to 3. If you have only one hour to give, come down and work for an hour and do that anytime. Uh, there's also a place to sign up today for the different jobs that are available for that. There's an announcement about Holy Week. Don't forget that we have Thursday night, Monday, Thursday, Friday night, Good Friday service, as well as the three services on Easter Sunday. Pick a party. The next weekend is the deadline to sign up. Uh, this is a great way to have fellowship and fun and then also to raise money for our mission projects. So think of a pick a party. There's a table today where you can sign up to do one of those parties. Uh, Dr. Martha Summers is going to be with us next weekend uh, in worship and also especially in the evening at 5 o'clock at the Piedmont Forum. I always tell people that meeting Martha Summers is the closest you'll ever come to meeting Mother Teresa. That's, uh, she's lived for 25 years in Africa as a single woman, as a missionary, a medical doctor. She has amazing stories. She's got some photos and videos she's going to show. So please join us at 5 o'clock next Sunday for Martha Summers on the Piedmont Forum. There's an announcement about the Thursday night class that Dawn is leading, a journey through Lent. Open to anyone. If you haven't been, just dive in and be a part of that thing. The kids are having a food drive, a Lenten food drive. 
And then following this service, not in the, in the announcements, but we're going to have a sermon discussion over in the Barton Room. Uh, so grab a cup of coffee. We'll be talking about the, the sermon. And it lasts no more than 30 minutes. We invite you to join in following this to talk about today's sermon. I need to announce the death of two of our members. Kimberly Egan died uh, this last week. And her service is going to be on Friday, April 5th at 11 a.m. Also, Carol Lawson died, and her service is going to be on May 19th at 2 p.m. Please keep them in your thoughts and in your prayers. And on the other end of the life cycle, this uh, beautiful flower here is a celebration of Elise Dahlia Perry, granddaughter of uh, Julie and Tom, and we're celebrating that birth this week. We have two special announcements here. A tag team of uh, Bill Giswold, first to talk about the endowment, and then Kathy Hull to talk about one of our most important mission projects. Uh, I'm here representing the uh, Bob Leslie and Bob Coleman, who are chairs of the endowment committee and the investment committee. And uh, Kathy and I will be speaking. Kathy's going to talk about the George Mark appropriately. I have one minute, and she has three. So I'll be, uh, I'll be efficient. First of all, I want to thank everybody who has participated in the past with respect to the endowment committee behind the bricks. As we go, we have over 150 families that have participated in that. We are going to continue again as we go forward and have a uh, celebration on May 19th uh, here at the church and followed by a lunch that I'll talk about uh, in a minute. The real thing I want to talk about is we have an opportunity at this point. There's, uh, you know, I'm a tax accountant, so I have to talk about taxes for a second is we have a significant changes in the estate tax. And one of the things that we look at in connection with an endowment is it's a long-range plan, a solution to the issues that face our church. We have a wonderful facility that takes a lot of maintenance, and as it gets older, like the rest of us, it's going to take a little bit more cash to keep it going. And this mission of the church is something that we need to consider for really the long haul. That's part of this endowment. We can put some cash away, put it in good hands, and be able to have it there for the so-called rainy day. In connection with Mar with May 19th is after the, uh, the ceremony out with the bricks, we're going to have a luncheon, a speaker that's going to talk about family planning, estate planning, and leaving something at the end of life as a memorial here at the church to help the church continue on with its mission. I did some little research, discovered that churches are number one in the, in the United States in terms of current giving. They're way down the list in terms of what comes out of somebody's wills or trust at the end of their life. And we think there needs to be a little bit of an adjustment to that. And that would be something I would like you to consider when you're taking a look with your, with your counsel about what needs to what needs to happen at this particular point. So I'll be outside if there's any questions afterwards, but uh, thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. It's hard to feel too important when Bill McNabb has forgotten to introduce us twice at both services. So we will not be feeling um, too aggrandized. It is my absolute privilege to share a little bit about the wonderful um, 
nonprofit that I founded and which is celebrating its 15th anniversary this year. That's an enormous milestone for a nonprofit. The New York Times um, had an article in the last several weeks about the fact that the last 15 years in particular have been critical in the survival or not of nonprofits. And of course, that includes the recession and all the crazy things that happened um, following that with our economy. So the fact that George Mark has not only survived but thrived is in large part to the fact that we have a community of support, and you all are part of that. Our church has embraced the mission of what we do um, ever since we opened our doors, and our support comes in so many ways from our congregation, both from the alternative gift market and the deacon's discretionary fund, and also from the people in this congregation who volunteer, who attend our events and support us in that way, and people who've just been generous supporters with their resources, um, time, talent, energy, all of those things. Um, most of you have heard me talk before about George Monk, but I want to give you just a little window on what it is that we do and what makes our services so extraordinary. We provide palliative care to families whose children have a life-limiting diagnosis. And those words are not any that parents would ever want to hear, that their child has been diagnosed with something for which modern medicine doesn't have a cure or for which it's a chronic debilitating illness that will ultimately take the life of their child. Um, so at our sweet little residential facility in San Leandro, and for any of you who have not had an opportunity to come visit, we're always glad to give a tour to show you what it is that some of your church dollars are supporting. But we take families in and offer respite care so their children can come stay with us while the parents um, literally take a break from the 24-7 acute care that they're providing at home. We also um, provide really lovely, compassionate end-of-life care, which is so needed and such a tug at the heartstrings. It's, it's never easy to help a family say goodbye to a child, but we have an extraordinary staff, and they do those services with so much love and caring that our families continue to come back and bring their families back because this was a place that not only uh, took wonderful care of them, but it holds very tender and dear memories. Um, because we were the first of our kind in the United States, we have had both the privilege and responsibility of being the model for pediatric palliative care in the United States. And I'm happy to tell you that there are now four other facilities who have modeled their care on ours uh, that are open and running and an additional 15 in some form of development. So right here in Alameda County, we're doing something exciting right at the forefront of a model of care. And I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you because you're part of what lets us thrive and offer the services that we do.
is actually a celebrity. Uh, last year, she was asked to give a TED Talk, and it was, it's fantastic. I encourage you to look it up on the Internet if you'd like to, to find out more about the amazing ministry of George Barna. God, you've called each one of us today to be here from wherever it is we're coming. You promise to accompany us and guide us wherever it is we're going. When we think of the vast scope of your love for us, when we ponder your amazing grace that creates and redeems and sustains the whole world, we're astonished by your power and awed by your mercy. In our heart of hearts, each of us longs to know you more deeply to touch even the fringes of your cloak, to know peace and healing. We strain our ears to hear you call us beloved daughters and sons, like so many who you've called before us. So we ask you to grant us the faith that we can be made whole, and that you'll move us forward with integrity and compassion and love and faith. Merciful God, we pray for those in need of your healing today, for the children, the families, George Mark, Children's Home, and his staff, and for Kathy's work, we pray, God, that you will lift them up and guide them forward in such important and amazing work. For the sick, and for the injured and hospitalized, and for those whose illness has isolated them from their communities, for whatever reason, we pray that you'll give them a spirit of healing and hope. For the outcast, for those whom we have cast out through our own action or inaction, we pray that you will shine a light on our own prejudices, soften our hardened hearts, and transform us for loving service toward every person in need. We pray for those who mourn and who weep. Let them stand firm in your promises, carried by your strength and care. Give them the comfort and assurance that nothing can separate them from your love. Loving God, we pray for healing, hope to reign in this world. Where there is conflict and war, let there be peace. Where there is hunger and poverty, let there be abundance. Where there is distress and despair, let there be light. Holy God, as we have brought into our place of worship the last few weeks this prayer box to remind us of the prayers that so many of us have on our hearts, those concerns that we have, we lift up the prayers of those who have left prayer requests in our church and pray that you will be with all who need your loving embrace today. We pray to hear your words this day and every day, your words that Jesus said, follow me. For they're words not only of discipleship, but also of assurance that as your disciples will never be forsaken. You'll lead us, all of us, into unexpected places. So give us the courage to follow you each day of our lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus, who preaches, teaches us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from
so much. This is the fourth part of our series on the parables of Jesus. And uh, today we're looking at one of the more famous parables, the parable of the sower. From Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered around him, so that he got into a boat and sat there, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. The birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they had not much soil, and immediately they sprang up so that they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and brought forth grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The Lord bless to our hearts and our minds this reading of his word. The crowd was large. The anticipation was intense. They kept coming, coming, pushing forward, coming forward to see Jesus. Finally, they have him backed up to the shore of the lake of Galilee. So he jumps into a boat and pushes off from shore and preaches to this great crowd of people from the boat, gently rocking. He teaches them in parables. Parables are little tiny stories that are fiction. They're made up to tell about what God is like told parables of the kingdom, of the nature of God. Jesus didn't use systematic theology. These parables were more like word pictures, like snapshots. He, just tried, he tried to describe this, this kingdom of God. He said it's, it's, it's like a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, but it grows to this big tree. The kingdom of God is like finding a treasure in a field buried treasure, and you sell everything you have when you buy the field, so the treasure can be yours. It's like yeast working in a loaf of bread. You can't see it, but it's working. It's like a pearl of great price, a net full of fish. Barbara Brown Taylor has written beautifully about this parable. She says that parables both reveal and conceal the nature of God. There's something about them that reveals something, but they also are hidden and concealed in some way. Some people have surmised that Jesus taught in parables because he was always under the threat of being hauled away by the scribes and Pharisees and thrown into jail because they considered him a heretic. So he taught in a way that uh, perhaps the, the only certain kind of listeners could hear him. Those who listen with their hearts and not just with their minds. Years ago, I remember listening to NPR, All Things Considered, show. And they, and they talked about a new invention that had come out of England. This little black electronic box that had been invented that was called the Mosquito Tone Audio Projection Unit. And the Mosquito Tone Audio Projection Unit 
was something that was devised to emit a 17 kilohertz sound. Now, this frequency, this very, very high frequency, uh, could only be heard by those that were so 20 years or, or, or less. You know, as you get older, your hearing goes, and the first things to go are those high frequencies. So they developed this thing where it's a, it was a tone that young people could hear, but older people could not hear. So they would install these little boxes in places where they wanted to drive away teenagers. In front of a convenience store to keep t- teenagers from loitering around. They would put the, the little tone near that wouldn't bother adults, but it drove the teenagers nuts, so they would leave. But of course, technology always has unintended consequences, doesn't it? Some industrious teenager found a way to download the mosquito tone onto his cell phone to use as the ringtone. And soon, thousands of teenagers downloaded the mosquito tone onto their cell phones. So they had a ringtone that was only audible to young people. They could take their phones into classes, and uh, they could be notified when a text message came. Their old teacher couldn't even hear what was going on. Unintended consequences. Parables are sort of like that ringtone. Sometimes people can hear them, sometimes they can't. And perhaps it helps to have young, fresh ears to hear a parable. Sometimes we've been exposed to them so many times that, that we don't really hear the fresh good news that Jesus is proclaiming when he speaks. Maybe that's why he ended the parable by saying, let those who have ears to hear, hear. The traditional interpretation of this parable is that it's about four types of people. The four soils represent four types of Christians. There's the the path, the hard path, the people where the the word doesn't even sprout, doesn't even get going. Then there is the rocky soil, those who uh, become Christians, but uh, they're they're drawn away by the cares of the world and they they wilt eventually. There's those that are that are in the thorns, and the thorns grow up and choke them out. All the all the temptations of the world choke choke us out. Then there are some that are the good soil, and they produce grain. And uh, the, the, the saying is, is always sort of like, well, you've got to try hard to be the good soil. You don't want to be that bad soil. You want to be the good soil, and you've got to make sure that you do that, that you, that you become the good soil. But Barbara Taylor has said, what if the parable isn't about you? What if it's not about you? What if it's about God? The nature of God. What if Jesus told this story for us to understand something about the nature of God? If that's true, then the God that he talked about is foolish, flinging, unfastidious, and extravagant. This parable is about the God who is enough and who has given us enough. When you look at it, this sower is a person, he's a farmer, who achieved 25% success rate. Who would farm like this? Where three quarters of your seed doesn't even have a chance to grow. Only 25% success rate. Where, where is that acceptable? If Ford, Ford Motor Company made cars and only 25% of the cars worked, how would that go over? If four people go to a restaurant for dinner and only one of the meals is edible, would you go back? 
Would you do it? What if your financial advisor came to you and said, hey, only lost 75% of the money. Still got 25%, okay? The only place where a 25% success rate is acceptable is in the truly bizarre game of baseball. In baseball, you can bat 25%, 250, and make millions of dollars. It's one of the only places in the world that's like that. God is a sower. And the parable is about God, and the sower is not efficient, but he is foolish. We can read this as a parable of waste, but Jesus offers it as a description of God's love expressed by giving us enough of everything that we need. There's a myth of scarcity in this world, and this type of parable is meant to explode that myth of scarcity. When I was in seminary, a movie came out called Oh God, with George Burns playing God and John Denver playing a a grocery store clerk. And uh, if you haven't seen it in many, many years, you go see if you can find it on Netflix or something, because it's had the best theology of any movie I've ever seen in my entire life. It dealt with real theological problems in, in, in this movie, in the dialogue. For example, the presence of evil in the world. John Denver, who's a skeptic, he doesn't believe in God, when he finally meets God, he says to him, God, why do you allow children to starve? And God says to him, I don't, you do. He says, I gave you all enough. I gave you enough for everyone, but you won't share it. You won't share it. If you talk to agronomists, you find that that's true. The world easily has the possibility to feed every human being. We are not overpopulated. Our problem is not an agricultural one. It has to do with transportation, logistics, and most of all, the lack of the political will of rich countries to help poor countries. The lack of that will. That's the kind of thing that, that we're, we're talking about. And so, uh, we need to learn how to share with other people. That's part of the message of this thing. The message is that there's enough in this world. God has given us plenty, and we need to spread it around. It also talks about how God works foolishly and extravagantly. Um, you can see this when Jesus left. When Jesus ascended into heaven, did you notice that there was no uh, strategic plan? There was no long-range vision. There was nothing as to how the message was going to, get to, to keep on going. If you say to him, Jesus, what's your, what's your exit plan? Well, he says, I, I taught 12 guys about God, and I told them to go out and tell everybody else. That's it. That was the plan. You know, 12 guys, go out and spread the news. Good stuff. Well, here, 2,000 years later, we have 32% of the world is Christian. It's, it's uh, largest religion, but uh, it's going down every year now. The largest, the fastest growing category uh, of religion in the surveys show is none. Every year, less and less people describe themselves as Christians, and more and more people describe themselves as having no religion at all. That's the state of things that, that Jesus left here. There's no list of likely prospects. Uh, or any of those kind of things. God works foolishly. There's a story about 
when a man is ordained in the church of Scandinavia, and they lay the hands on him, and they do the prayer, and at the end of the service, when the hands are removed, the candidate is supposed to go out immediately into the street and start preaching the gospel to anyone that he sees. It's kind of crazy, right? But the idea is that of all the things that we do, there is nothing more important than spreading the good news of Christ to the world. That's the most important thing. That's why the Apostle Paul said, God has chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save the world. So God foolishly throws the word everywhere and gets unimpressive results, very unimpressive results, but doesn't matter. Because it's hard to hear the gospel. Perhaps we are like the characters in an off-Broadway play where a man and his wife are in a room. The window is open, and through the window they can hear the sounds of the Salvation Army band playing a hymn, playing a Jesus song. The man gets up, goes over to the window, and closes it. He says, I don't really see what Jesus could do for us. Sometimes we feel that way. We don't really see what Jesus could do for us. Can't fill our tanks with cheap gas, stop corruption, keep the rich from messing up financial institutions, any of those kind of things. It's easy to get discouraged. Harry Emerson Fosdick was one of the greatest preachers of our century. He was at Riverside Church in New York City for 40 years. And when he retired, somebody asked him how he felt about his ministry, his work. He said, well, I've been preaching for 40 years, but the world's still a mess. It's still a mess. We can all feel that way. Mother Teresa said, don't think that by your little acts of kindness you will change the world. But it's still so important that you do them anyway. A man named Kent Keith wrote a thing called the Paradoxical Commandments. He said, people are illogical, unreasonable, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people will accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Do good anyway. The good you do today will be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Honesty and frankness make you vulnerable. Be honest and frank anyway. People favor underdogs, but follow only top dogs. Fight for a few underdogs anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. Give the world the best you have and you'll get kicked in the teeth. Give the world the best that you have anyway. I think what the parable tells us is that we shouldn't be overly concerned about results. Just, just start flinging. Start throwing the seed. Sow things. Don't worry about everything being perfect. You know, results are hard to me- measure when it comes to spiritual things like the kingdom of God. Maybe it's like planting a sequoia seed. When you plant a sequoia seed, it takes a long time to see the, the fruits of your, your effort, doesn't it? When I was in college, I got my first job in ministry as a youth minister at a little church in Woodland Hills, California. Youth ministry is hard, but it's especially hard when you don't know what you're doing. And I had no idea uh, what I was doing. And uh, but we eventually got a pretty good little group there, about 25 kids or so. And, uh, you know, we'd, we'd have fun, we'd play games and have fun, and then there would come the, the, the teaching time, the time when kids are supposed to sit down, be quiet, and then I was to teach them about God. 
There was one girl in youth group who was the most irritating kid I have ever known in my entire life. She never shut up. She was always talking, whispering, giggling. You know, she'd be in the back there. I'd be trying to talk, you know, teach a Bible lesson, and she'd be just disrupting things. You'd say, can you be quiet? And it was Lori Barnes. Lori, just kind of be quiet there for a second here. You know, uh, then she'd start talking again, doing, doing the same thing. Every week it was the same deal. She was there strictly for social reasons. And uh, 10 years later, I went back to that church because it had a reunion, the 50th anniversary or something, and they brought all the old ministers and youth ministers back. I'm in the fellowship hall, uh, and uh, this young woman walks up to me, and she says, Hey, Bill, do you remember me? I'm Lori Barnes. I said, Yeah, Lori, I remember. <laughs> I, I, I do remember you. Uh, yes. Um, um, she goes, oh, I'm so glad to see you. I wanted to tell you something. Did you, uh, you know, I'm graduating from college this year, and I'm enrolled next year to go to Fuller Seminary, and I'm going into the ministry. I said, Really? Really? Yeah, she said, I want you to know that the first place that God ever became real to me, that I ever really experienced God, was in that junior high youth group that you led. I said, that's amazing. <laughs> if I hadn't gone back to that reunion, I would have never known that a seed that I planted sprouted up and grew. I would have had no idea. A lot of times in our life, we plant seeds and we don't have the, the luxury or the joy of seeing the results. That's why I tell all of our Sunday school teachers, don't, don't give up. The worst kid in your class become the, could become the next Billy Graham. You never know. You have no idea. The, the, the results are often invisible. Don't wait till everything is perfect before you throw the seeds. I like to imagine a prequel to this parable. The sower goes out to sow the seeds, but he notices that there's a, an area that's hard, hard earth. So he gets a hoe and he starts to break it up. Then he notices that there's a lot of rocks in the field. So he starts to clear the field of all the rocks. Then he notices there's all these weeds, these thorns, brambles. So he starts pulling the weeds out. And eventually it's dark and he has to go home. He comes back the next day and He's going to sow, but then he notices there's still a bunch of rocks. There's still a bunch of weeds. There's still a path. But he doesn't care. He grabs the bag of seeds and starts going, shoo, shoo, shoo. He just starts flinging those seeds. He doesn't care where they land. He, some of them lands on the thorns, some of the paths on the rocks. He doesn't care. He just keeps flinging those seeds. And he had never been happier. He was blown away by that which grew. He celebrated 25% of his efforts that worked. Maybe that's why Jesus said, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Just keep sowing those seeds, folks.
jazzy prayer of thanksgiving right now. Let's pray together the prayer of thanksgiving that's printed in the bulletin. How can we express our thanks, O God, for the one who laid down life itself to witness to your love for all people? We're aware that many have not experienced that love. We see their need. We want to respond. Use what we offer to you to bring healing and peace to others not of this world. Draw us together as one flock in the care of one shepherd, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. to do about the terrible situation in Africa concerning the flooding there, the cholera that's spreading. We are taking up an offering. If you would like to donate to that, you can send a check to the church or give it to us, Spark Africa Relief for that, and we will send that money along. We have a very good contact there in that region. 
We invite you to uh, grab a cup of coffee and join us for the sermon discussion following this service. As you leave here, I remind you that you go forth as representatives and ambassadors of our Lord Jesus Christ. Live your life this week in such a way that wherever you are, when people see you, they'll see Christ living in you. And may the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you, and always hold you in the palm of his hand. Amen. Go in peace.